0: Welcome friends. I'm Troy Spillman, one of the pastors here, and so glad that you're here. I mean, it's so crazy going from Thanksgiving to like Christmas time. Here it is, December 1st. Like there was no pause, right? Like we skipped right to this. Okay, I do have a a public service announcement before we get going. If there's some empty seats near you, could you squeeze in, because there's more people that would like a seat. So if we can kind of fill in some of those gaps. That would be great. If you can kind of move to the center so we can provide a few more spots, that would be awesome. So thank you for making that possible. Hey, look, this is a good problem to have on Thanksgiving weekend. So um, let's jump right in. So this is the first week of Advent. And Advent simply means arrival. So it's Advent of Jesus or the arrival or coming of Jesus. The Advent of Jesus is about God coming down to us. Not expecting us to meet him up where he is, but him coming down to meet us. You could say this is where God became flesh. God was skin on, that we, he would dwell and live among us, that we could relate to him. So the idea of God coming to the earth, this is not a new idea. This is something that was anticipated long ago, but not necessarily in how it happened. So, we're going to jump right into this passage. So, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 25, we're going to cover that. They'll be up behind me, but also, if you have your Bible, you can follow along with us. So, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Friends, let's just pray for a moment. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for this time of year that we get to celebrate you coming to us in the form of a baby. Lord, I pray that you'll give us joy. You'll give us hope, Lord, as we explore this. Lord, who can't relate to a baby so innocent, so non-judging? Lord, thank you, Lord, for this gift that you came in the form of a baby that we could relate to. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, you would prepare the soil of our hearts that it may be fertile that you could grow and produce a great yield. Lord, I pray that you'll give us just the right focus. Lord, this time of year and as we go through this passage, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is a story of anticipation with the birth of our Savior, but not exactly how people thought it was going to unfold. You know, me and my wife, Heidi, we have our own story of anticipation, particularly with our third child. So when we have three, we have boy girl, boy. And so our youngest, um, by the third child, we thought we had this down, right? Like you think, okay, we have this figured out. This is our third round. We know what we're doing. And so three weeks before number three was due, Heidi had a a baby shower and all the presents were still stacked in boxes in the living room. And then she left for a three-day conference about three to four hours away. And there was no sign of the baby coming, so, I, you know, this is not a big deal, you know, not a problem. Um, the crib was still disassembled in the garage. The car seat was not installed. And you, you know what happened here, right? Like, the, the other two kids were at, at Grammy's house, so it's like, I had this day, like, I took a nap. And then, then I got the call. Um, I, I think the baby's coming. Well, that's an understatement because with my wife, there's like no like cruise control when this, like when it starts, it's in high gear. Like this baby's coming. I knew I had just like a few hours and here I am, it's heading toward rush hour traffic time and I had to get there. So I'm kind of going around the garage, I'm trying to find stuff, like what does she need? What do I need? We're not, you know, I'm going around, I think I almost left the garage door open. A friend of mine checked later and he said I didn't, but I wasn't so sure. Okay, so I'm speeding down. I'm actually going in and out of the carpool lane by myself. I just figure if I get pulled over, I'm going to give them the other line. You know, listen to my wife on the other end of this phone. She's like in labor. Listen. (laughs) Hopefully they'll show some mercy. So as I'm driving, I'm kind of going in and out of the carpool lane. I'm trying to get down there. You know, a couple points. I'm being navigated by my um, father-in-law, and he's like giving me directions. And, you know, he's kind of navigating me through. And then... About 20 minutes before, all of a sudden, they just put me on speakerphone. I hit that point, right? I hit a speakerphone, and then, since we don't know the gender of any of our kids before they're born, all of a sudden, I heard, it's a boy, and I was 20 minutes away. But you know what? And some people were like, oh, was not that so sad? I was like, look, my wife was so well taken care of, probably better taken care of than if I were there. She had a whole team of pastor's wives, like, attending to all her needs. They're like, I'm going to Target. I'm going to get you diapers. And I'm going to go get this, and I'm going to go get that. And so she was well taken care of. We were so grateful of how it actually worked out. So healthy baby, we have our third child. Yes, I miss it. And we had our plans. But you know what? It played out differently than we expected. Well, this is kind of the situation here. This is a story of anticipation with Jesus. But it didn't unfold how even the parents or everyone else expected it would play out. But there was this expectation. No one is expecting exactly the story that we have here before us today. What Joseph and Mary were about to experience was not on the agenda. At least it wasn't on their agenda, but it was on God's. So we're going to start off here with an awkward situation in verses 18 and 19. Back in Matthew 1, 18 19, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but because they came together, before, sorry, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Matthew is one of the four writers of the Gospels of the life of Jesus. He's writing to a Hebrew audience and he doesn't dance around with the identity of Jesus. He just gets right to it. He is a Messiah, which means anointed one. Matthew doesn't really tell us about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't go into all the details. Luke does that because they have different perspectives with different Gospels. Matthew instead tells us where Jesus came from and then he tells us through the eyes of Joseph. Joseph was was pledged to to a man named Joseph. Mary was with him. They were engaged, but we got to explore this whole idea. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. There was a big but there. He was pledged to be married, but then there was a big but. Joseph knew the public was less apt to believe in this situation. To say it was awkward was a huge understatement. He will face accusations that he jumped the gun pregnant by God? That's really what you're going with? Mary seemed like such a good girl. I never would have guessed. After a religious studies class, my undergraduate work years ago, I remember uh, this was the topic, was the birth of Jesus. And I remember a couple of students, as we walked out, were kind of mocking this very, very thing. Sure it wasn't Joseph. Sure it was by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that exists in that day and still carries to this day. This was a talk of the town, and it still follows Jesus. The truth of the supernatural conception of Jesus was disbelieved by many. Here, Matthew seeks to set the story straight, both now and then. To bring a whole perspective, we need to explore the culture of marriage. At this time, a Hebrew marriage had two stages. Not just one, but two stages. You had the betrothal, then you had the marriage ceremony. So they're actually two different events. A contract was made and was sealed by payment, the dowry, paid by the groom or his family to the bride's father. It was compensation for wedding costs, but also kind of served as insurance that you're going to follow through with this deal. And Jewish law, the betrothal, which lasted about a year, was much more involved than our current day engagement. Like, it was binding, not like ours today. People break off engagements all the time. And, it, you know, yeah, it has some drama attached, but it's, it's not like this... Um, this huge stigma or this huge repercussions. This was a binding contract that could only be terminated by death or by divorce. So it was binding. The father was already seen as the husband, or sorry, the man was already seen as the husband, but the woman remained in her father's house. So the marriage was completed when the husband took his betrothed to his home in a public ceremony. Then they came together. Now, Joseph was in a royal bind. He was in a huge bind. He loved Mary, and he didn't want to publicly shame her. He sought a more under-the-radar way out of this. So what did he do? Well, he had a double problem. Because of his moral standards, he knew they shouldn't go through the marriage because he knew he wasn't the father. Yet, his nature was a just man. He didn't want to make this unnecessary hardship or stigma upon Mary. So what was he going to do? I can just picture the the agony of this man, tormented by feelings of of hurt, dismay, and compassion for Mary because he loved her. He loved his wife. Joseph is a really incredible guy. Not many songs are are sung about Joseph, but they should be. There should be like a ballad of Joseph. (laughs) But Matthew puts him front and center. He's mentioned twice as much as Mary. Uh, There are men who are righteous, But not kind. And there are men that are kind, but aren't righteous. Joseph was both righteous and kind. Okay, then we have this unexpected announcement. Starting in verse 20 and 21. But after you consider this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he'll save his people from their sins. So Joseph was understandably troubled by Mary's mysterious pregnancy. So he decided to put her away secretly. It seems like he wasn't all that comfortable with that decision. He was troubled by it. And probably as he crashed out of exhaustion, just not knowing what to do in confusion, he has this dream. He has this dream of an angel coming to him. Says, Joseph, son of David. The title, Son of David, should have made him aware that this was no ordinary message. This was a reference to Joseph's legal lineage to the throne of David. The, na- the announcement from this angel verifies the royal lineage of Jesus being announced as the Son of David. Even though Joseph was not the biological father, he was to be the legal father. He was to take up the role of the father. Okay, then there's the big news that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how does one brace for this kind of news? I mean, you can't exactly kind of Google how to know if your baby is conceived by the Holy... Oh, forget it. Right? It just doesn't work. You have no grid for this kind of announcement. It seems that Mary had not told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, how could she... or? really anyone for that matter, except God, explains such a thing. I mean, could you imagine this? And Joseph, sit down, honey. I have, a, I have something I have to tell you. Now, husbands, you got to know this, right? Like when your wife kind of says, you know, sit down, I, you know, I need to tell you something. It's like you kind of brace for it. Like, oh, what's going on? My wife is really great this way. She gives me a warning. She's like, okay, sure, I'm going to give you 10 minutes, but then we're going to talk. It's like, okay, lower defenses, lower, you know, be ready to receive. All right, great. But this is a game changer. This is a game changer for Joseph. He's taking in the woman who's publicly seen as being unfaithful. He is choosing to build his marriage on some hard-to-believe circumstances, at least to outsiders, even though at this point they believe it. Certainly, Joseph and Mary were convinced. But how convinced were their parents? How convinced were their aunts and uncles and their neighbors and their co-workers? That would have been hard. And the angel says, you can call his name Jesus. A father was responsible for naming son at the time of circumcision eight days after birth. So the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, which is God's name he gave for himself. So it's very simple. God saves. This is a proper name because Jesus would save his people from their sins. His name is his mission. I mean, how convenient is that? Jesus means Yahweh saves, and that is what he came to do. This is clearly not about the rival of an earthly leader. There's something so much more. He came to deal with sin, and sin simply means to miss the mark. We've all fallen short, yet we tend to kind of see sin as a big curve, and somewhere, as long as I'm kind of on the curve, I'm not as bad as maybe other people, I'm doing good. The idea is we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're, We're all guilty. We all have this sin issue. We've, we've all missed, so we all need a solution because we're separated from God's presence and also his eternal plan he has for our life. So Jesus came to solve that, to deal with the sin issue that we could have this relationship once again with our creator. Salvation from our sin is the Old Testament concept attached to the Messiah, but we have to admit, it wasn't always the dominant one. It wasn't kind of the forefront of what people thought of, of becoming Messiah. They thought of this liberator. The, this announcement is like a warning. us not to expect this Messiah, Jesus, to conform to the, the more popular hope of a national liberator. So parents, you know, as your parents-to-be, you tend to kind of dream about and talk about what your child will be like. Will they have blonde hair or brown hair? Uh, whose eyes will they have? Or will they be tall or athletic, artistic, really smart? Will they have your dad's nose? Will they have your aunt's laugh? Uh, you, know, you know, all those things. You kind of wonder. For us, gender was an issue. We didn't know what the gender was for any of our children before they're born. We wanted the surprise. One of the last few surprises it feels like in this world. And so with gender, it's kind of a big deal because Heidi's family is like all girls. And she has two sisters. I am from a boy family. I just have um, my brother. and But Spillman's. Uh, my granddad was born in small town, Texas, nine boys, no girls. So it was always just like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be boy? What's family is going to win out? You know, so we had boy, girl, then we had boy. And you can imagine, you know, they're preparing, they're talking this through, but who can be prepared for this news? That our son Will be the Messiah? I mean, there's all these, these parenting books out there, right? I remember we had stacks of parenting books, and some of them are really good and helpful, Some not so much. It, there's there's no parenting book on from Amazon that's going to help you out with this, you know? I mean, how do you how do you parent um, God? I mean, how do you how do you do this? So then we have amazing promise verses 22 and 23. All this took place. To fill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew cuts away from the scene and gives us a little context of this prophecy from Isaiah. Now, Jewish people would know of the promise of a deliverer. You know, that was part of the deal. In other words, this isn't the beginning of a new religion or sect, this is actually a fulfillment of something that was promised many, many years ago to the Jews salvation is for the world, but it springs forth through the Hebrew people. So here's the ingredients to all this. You have the Lion of David, you need a virgin, they'll have a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel. Okay, so as with many prophecies, there's immediate application of King Ahaz trusting God in the midst of some rival nations. But then there's also a long-term application of Jesus coming as the Messiah. So you know, at the time, you kind of look at those both and it'd be easy to lump them all together. But the way prophecies often worked, is almost like mountain ranges. They look far off, but as you get closer, you realize there can be some significant gaps between the mountains or mountain ranges. whole other set of mountains made back there. Well, that's how prophecies often worked. It would be one that would be fulfilled more soon or immediate. It'd be one that would be farther out, but they have dual application. And that's clearly what takes place here. Emmanuel means God with us. In the current situation of Israel at this time, uh, they were under the brutal rule of this Roman Empire. They were heavily taxed. Uh, Their freedoms were severely limited. They needed to know that God was with them. They, They needed this hope. This is not about a prophet coming or a military commander or a charismatic politician, but Emmanuel, God with us. The point is not that Jesus ever bore this Title or name, Emmanuel, his actual name, but it reveals his role. It's it's bring God's presence to man. Jesus was himself God with us. It, It served as his function. Then we have the inspiring response. Look at verse 24. It says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So one thing we know for sure, Joseph was convinced that he and Mary were in the mix of something divine and supernatural, and it says that he did what the angel commanded. Like, J- Joseph sprung into action. I just love that. You know, he didn't kind of debate about it. He didn't, Like, let me think this up. Like, he sprung into action and says that he took her home as his wife. Hours earlier, he thought his marriage was pretty much over. Now he's involved in something that only God could design and set into motion long, long time ago, and somehow he gets to be a part of it. So he was willing to say yes and jump in. And it says that he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now this is a gentle way of saying that Joseph didn't have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. This does seem to imply that they did have sexual relations after Jesus. And there's no indication in the Bible that Mary was a perpetual virgin, as some traditions claim. In fact, Mary had other children, and they're even named in the Bible. And it says that he waited. Men, can we just give Joseph some kudos here? As a man of integrity, he, he waited. Okay, so what's the point of all this? What's the big picture? The point is, with the arrival of Jesus, God is with us. God is with us. Now, I loved it when my dad would get down on his hands and knees and he would just play with, with me and my brother. He would get down on our level. He, he would wrestle with us. He, he seemed more tangible. He seemed more human. He seemed more relatable. He wasn't like this guy that owned a, you know, this trucking business. Like it was, it was my dad, and this is what my dad does, and he wrestles. You know, if something happened to him, I think I'd be like, well, who's going to wrestle with me now? He entered our world. And I found this true with my own kids. Like with my daughter, I would play stuffed animals with her. And she loved stuffed animals. She didn't really do the doll thing, but stuffed animals. And we would, I'd like, she had a whole like big laundry basket of them. I'd hide one. I'd be like, guess which one I hid? And she would, she would know. She would figure it out. I was especially good at my little pony. I could like comb the mane and, you know, have their voices. With my boys, I would play Legos. Uh, I love to kind of mix genres. You have Star Wars and, you know, Lord of the Rings. So you have hobbits with lightsabers. It was always fun. We kind of play act through this. We would, and then of course, when mom's gone, we would build huge forts, you know, with the couches and tables and rearrange everything and have blankets and, and of course, it would end with a giant dog pile and just like pile and rustle on each other and, well, I wanted to be tangible. I, I wanted to be real. This is what God did. He came down to our level. He identified with us. He meets us where we are at. Emmanuel, God with us. Who can't relate to a baby? So non-threatening, so innocent, so pure, so beautiful. So if we break down these three simple words, God with us. let's, Let's break this down a little bit. God. This title of Jesus refers to his deity, that he's God. God with us. Then the next word, with now, this speaks to his desired relationship with men and women. He, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a connection with us. So it's God with what speaks of that connection with us. Then the last word is us. We are the focus of his attention. Like all of him is focused upon us being able to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Now, a skeptic denied the virgin birth once asked a Christian. Hey, if I told you that child over there was born without a human father, would you believe me? And the, the believer smartly replied, yes, if he lived as Jesus lived. Friends, it's a package deal. The greatest outward evidence of Jesus' supernatural birth is his life. He lived it out. Even the Pharisees didn't disagree that he did miracles and he cared for people. He, he healed people, and they got to witness and see these things. They, they couldn't trip him up or catch him in a lie. They, they tried to, to ask him tough questions, and he was always able to give the answer. God became man and was able to reconcile men to God. His virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise of return are all integral parts to his identity. I mean, they all stand together or they all fall together. They're all wrapped together. It's a package deal. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, I like the part that, that you know, he, he rose from the dead, but I don't know about the virgin birth or vice versa. That's not the way it works. This is a package deal. It all goes together and pointing to his deity. God became flesh. Now, when he came flesh, he was born in a barn, not in a palace. So we could, we could better relate to him. Not many of us could relate to a palace situation or maybe a huge mansion. Was not, he was born into the working class family. I think we can relate to this. His dad was a carpenter. He picked up the same trade. He was born into a family whose parents didn't have the best of reputation. Hey, we can relate to that. Somewhere in our family line, there's some real mess ups, right? Hey, we can relate to this. Uh, he was born in a community or town that wasn't all that well known. Most of us kind of live in pretty normal situations. We, we get this. He experienced temptation, and he can relate to us in our temptations. He experienced hunger and shed tears and felt pain, and, and he can relate to us in our weakness. He can sympathize with his people in their loss and disappointments and temptations, hurt, heartache, pain. He can relate because he's been there. He's done it. He's experienced it. So what does this mean for us? What's the action item here? Well, I'd say there's be three. So the first is living in the reality of this Emmanuel. Living in the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as followers of Jesus, we can choose to live in this reality. Here's one that actually came down and experienced. He experienced temptation in real life. He, he knew what it was like to get up early in the morning and go work. And we can relate to him. And we can approach him. He's approachable. It so says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we can choose and live in this reality that God is with us. As believers, as far as Jesus, we can choose to live in this reality. Because God is with us. But we're not always conscious of it. We only live in that reality. And I think if we live in that reality, we'll make different decisions. Our, our life trajectory will look different if we're aware that God is with us. Joseph knew that God was with him. and Joseph's world, this was a big ask to take Mary in. How could he do it? Because God was with him. People will know that the timing's off. Uh, they'll be looked down upon. People will whisper as they walk by. His reputation integrity would be questioned. He, he, he chose to be faithful to God's plan. Why? Because he knew God was with him. So how do we, how do we friends have courageous faith? How do we do it? Because we know that God is with us. You need to make a tough decision that has significant repercussions. It's a big ask. How do you do it? You can do it because God is with us. You need to act in the midst of scary news. You got a bad report. How do you do it? How do you move forward? We can do it because God is with us. We need to come clean with some issues and bad habits, maybe even some hang-ups. How do we do this? We do it because we know God is with us. We need to reinvest in a relationship because we got burned. We feel led to rebuild this relationship. How can we do it? We can do it because God is with us. We need to confront one of our greatest fears. We're petrified. We all have our fears. How do we do it? We do it because God is with us. We're not alone to take on the challenges of life. We're not alone when we suffer loss. We're not alone in our times of sickness, when our physical bodies fail us. We're not alone when others might not be there for us. We're not alone to fight temptation. And Jesus, we have someone who understands. We have someone who's our advocate on our behalf. Why? Because God is with us. Second thing, faith requires action. Verse 24, it says, And Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. It's not that he just thought about it. They just contemplated. Sometimes we have this idea that if I just think about it and I like the idea, then that's good enough, right? No, you need to do something about it. Faith requires action. Joseph did as the Lord commanded. Joseph's obedience was notable. He didn't doubt or waver. He instantly understood the truth and he worked through this. He understood the importance of this messenger that came to him in this dream. I mean, think about this. He could have dismissed this dream. He could have been like, wow, that was a crazy dream. That must have been that late night burrito I had last night. Ooh, oh. Right? He could have dismissed it somehow and just kind of woke up, well, that was a crazy dream and go about his life. No, he clearly saw that God was speaking to him and he took action. Joseph immediately obeyed the angel. He took Mary as his wife and then he named her son Jesus. Joseph acted in line with God's direction. Have you responded by saying yes to what he's maybe asked you to do? Maybe there's something he's asked you to do in the past. Have you you responded by saying yes and then with action? Have you responded to what he's asked you to do? And sometimes we wonder, why hasn't God kind of given me new direction? Well, maybe it's because we didn't say yes. We didn't say yes back here. We, di- we didn't do what he asked us to do back here. So he's, he's kind of waiting for us. Why would he give us new marching orders if we haven't been faithful with the marching order back here? And so as we say yes to God, it's almost like clicking on a web page. I love watching like interactive weather maps. And you click on it all of a sudden, like all oh, these maps just come up. They're moving and storms. Like this was an exciting week for me. I love this stuff. And we're kind of watching through, you know, oh, the storm's going to come. And I can be like, honey, the storm's coming in 25 minutes. She's like, that's great. Um, <laughs> is you click on this webpage, it opens up a whole new world. Same thing. When we say yes to God, then he says, you know what? I'm not going to ask you to do something. I won't give you the power and strength to do as you rely upon me. So if we ask us to do something, we got to trust that he's going to give us what it takes to do it, just like he did with Joseph and with Mary. So let's say yes. It'd be cruel for him to ask us to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do, that we can't do. It'd be like asking my son when he's four years old to mow the lawn. Like, okay, what's the problem? Well, that would be, you wouldn't ask your four-year-old son. He can't even reach, like, the thing, you know, automatic stop and all that. No, you wouldn't do that. Well, same thing for God. One time I remember, I feel like God made it real clear that he wanted me to deliver some Christmas cookies to our neighbors with an invitation to Christmas Eve service. I had 25 reasons why not to do it, right? I mean, I could, I could list them for you probably right now. I had all these reasons why, but I have one compelling reason to do it. I feel like God just impressed it in my heart. And I believe it was more about my obedience than upon the response of my neighbors. Because I'd be like, well, they didn't respond the way that, who knows? Maybe you're planting seeds. Who knows what God will do with that? Maybe they opening up a door. That's not our problem. Our problem is to say yes. And trust God that he'll give us what we need because he is with us. What if Joseph didn't obey? What if, he, what if he said, you know what, I'll just think about it. I'll, I'll get back to this later. Which is kind of a nice way of saying no, really, when I say I think about it. God is amazingly patient. And we will miss out on the plan. So it says that Joseph did as the angel commanded. Okay, the third thing is we need to embrace who Jesus is. Yahweh saves. Right? He's our path to salvation. The angel told Joseph that he has to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Each of us has a need of a savior. This is central to why he came. Joseph, he believed and then action followed. True belief is that we're moving in that direction. Acts 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the path. This description of the work of Jesus reminds us that Jesus meets us in our sin to save us from our sin. I'll repeat that. He meets us in our sin, like he didn't wait till we figured things out. It's like he meets us in the midst of it, and then he saves us from our sin. We need to admit that we have sinned. And we need to acknowledge that he came as a perfect sacrifice, ultimately being in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, and we need to personally choose him. So I want to read for you the paradox of Christmas. This is from Pastor Sam Storms, who I believe sums up this role that Jesus took on so that we could have fellowship with God. So you can follow along with me. The Word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The mutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity from inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief, from a throne to a cross, from roar to being ruled, from power to weakness. Friends, this was all done out of love for us, for you and for me. This is why Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, that we may have hope now and for all eternity. So as we worship in a moment, we're going to have the prayer team up here. I'm going to challenge you, ask you to come forward, that you would pray with someone up here. You can even pray where you are. Ask your friend, your neighbor, even family member to pray with you. You don't necessarily have to come up, but I believe it's a great way. Sometimes that could be like a, an act of faith for you to come forward. Because you know what? There could be a voice of you trying to keep you in your seat. I don't, I don't know if that would be the Lord. I think he would want you to exercise faith and possibly come forward, and that would be a step of faith, you coming forward. Let's live in the reality of Jesus being our Emmanuel, that God is with us. Maybe you're facing some hardship that you need prayer for. We need to put action to our faith. Maybe there's some action you really need to take. Well, let's pray about that. Embracing maybe who Jesus is. Yahweh says, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You could do that by coming forward and praying with someone that's up here on our prayer team. Maybe you're saying yes is coming forward. Friends, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the grace that we have. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, thank you for this eternal hope. But yet, Lord, we're grateful that you didn't just secure our eternal destiny. Lord, you give us hope here and now. You promise to be with us, with us in our daily life, in our trials and tribulations, in our triumphs, and our victories. Lord, you're in the midst of all of it. Lord, help us be aware of this. Help us to be consciously including you in the midst. Lord, thank you for this time of year that we can celebrate the coming King. Lord, thank you for the anointed one. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Friends, we'll have our our team up here. We want to pray with you. I'll challenge you. Maybe this is your action item that you come forward. Friends, let's seize this time that we have.